Bodies by the Numbers is a horror podcast. We sometimes cover mature content and often deliver spoilers. Viewer discretion is advised. But yeah, no, I... Be my baby, be my baby heart. Sorry. <laughs> fuck, I'm sorry. The song's a catchy one, though. Fuck. Be my, be my baby. Oh, God. I will never be able to listen to that song without some horrible fucking connotations. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, no. Uh, welcome to Bodies ah! by the Numbers, a horror podcast where we keep track of how we die in horror media. I'm your host. Nick. You realize this, right? Andrew Mack. And this is my co-host. Grace Lee. And uh, today we are talking about 2022's Barbarian, written and directed by Zach Krager. Uh, one of the whitest kids you know. That's fair. Just as a heads up to all listeners... This episode will be covering uh, sexual assault and rape. Not into too much detail, but they will be topics of the episode we will slightly explore. So if you're more sensitive to that, you might want to skip this. Your mental health matters. Please take care of yourself. First off, feelings check, Grace. Feelings check? Jesus fucking Christ. So go, okay, okay. Barbarian is a good movie. But, God, it is... Well, I mean, it's it's good at what it does. It is a good horror film. And it's a little scary. And I think, honestly, the scariest part of this maybe isn't even, like, the monster, I guess. But just how this movie fucking builds tension. Like, you are just on the edge of your seat waiting for the jump scare. And I was deeply unhappy waiting for that jump scare. Yeah, and uh, happily, the movie doesn't actually deliver too many jump scares. No. Uh, Pancake's tearing up the cat tree. She has to make an appearance, of course. Of course. But uh, yeah, no, I saw this in theaters. And it was a really fun movie to go in, like, practically absolutely blind to. Yeah. I thought that the subject of sexual assault is never really... It's a tricky thing, and I think this is why I like Rob Zombie movies, is because they usually look at that type of thing unapologetically, but not um, titillizing, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a subject of the movie, but it is not a subject that is made to be kind of like sex sells kind of scenario. Later in the movie, there's like a flashback, and I think they handled... The situation really well by telling us the story without showing us the details. Yeah, I did enjoy how they did it because they showed us this kind of like, oh God, like bird's eye view of this scenario and nothing is explicit. We see nothing. We just see this kind of like everyday like afternoon, but because of where it's placed in the movie... And because as that bird's eye like perspective, we can see everything that's happening, it is deeply horrifying. And I don't wanna I don't wanna tell you too much right now because I will get way too in depth with like Oh, my new intro will straight up says like we contain spoilers. So okay. 
spoilers ahead. It's spoilers ahead. Yeah, but I'm, I might want to wait to get into the scene when it comes up in the plot summary. Okay, and another thing. Do you know something that I missed the first few times I watched this movie? What? She's called the Barbarian because it takes place on Barbary Street. Oh, I did not get that at all. I thought it was... Actually, I don't know why they called her the Barbarian. Like, I mean, yeah. She is localized to Barbary Street, the Barbarian. Uh, Like, we're Washingtonians or Islanders. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, that fits. I like it. No, it was a very clever title once you, like... Think about it. Look back, think about it, and see it. Yeah. But uh, I'm rambling. Let's talk about the mother, the barbarian, and dive into the the plot plot summary. summary. All right. Well, if we're going to start on the plot summary, the opening is honestly a really fucking classic one because it is a a dark and stormy night, quite literally. It's, It's dark out. You see this kind of just one lone house. It's like you can see, like, I think lightning. You can hear the thunder. You see the rain. And a car pulls up. Um, there's a woman in, um, in the car. She's checking her phone. She's kind of rechecking it for, like, these texts from... I can't remember the name of the company. No, no. She's not getting texted by the company. She keeps on checking the email she got oh, from the company. Oh, the, it, not a text, an email. I'm sorry. While a man called Marcus keeps calling her. Yeah. We never get information on who Marcus is, but he done fucked up. Yeah, he done fucked up. She immediately hangs up on the call. But she hasn't blocked him yet, so who knows what that says. But as this car pulls up, you hear this wailing. Clearly from, like, a a series of, like, women's voices. Like, there is a choir of women wailing. And it ends, like, as soon as she gets out of the car. But it is... It definitely sets the mood and the tone for the rest of the movie. So she kind of, like, grabs her suitcases, runs up to, the, like, you know, the door. She puts in a, like, a number uh, for this little lockbox in front of the door on the side. Uh, eventually it pops open, um, and it is clearly meant to be some sort of key box, like, you know, a lockbox. Um, but there's no key inside. So she goes back to the car, like, fuck, I guess there's just no key. I think she does try and, like, call, like, the company, like, hey, I'm trying to get to this house. There's no key for the house. Like, what the fuck is going on? And the company doesn't even pick up her phone, their phone. They just let her go to voicemail. Exactly. Um, When she's in the car, though, she sees a light inside the house turns on. So, you know, she gets like, what the fuck is going on? She gets back outside. She goes at the door. She starts knocking. I oh, know. I think she rings the doorbell. She, she ring- buzzes the shit out of that thing. Yeah. And a dude opens the door. He is confused and just a little like, you know, it looks like he just woke up. He's like, what the fuck is going on? And she's like, are you, why are you here? What are you doing here? And he's like. I rented this place, and um, she was like, you rented this place, and then she gives off, like, the number. I think it was, like, 473 or something like that. 476 Barbary. Yeah, she was like, you're, you're here at 476. You rented this place? And he was like, you know, he's like, I don't know is if that's the address for this place, then, yeah, I rented this place. And she's like, look, I rented this place off of Airbnb. He gives, like, a, like a rival, like, you know, 
renting company. Uh, like a rival renting company. Like, no, this is the day that I rented it for. He's like, are you sure you rented it for the right time? And she was like, yeah, check out my email. And he's like, fuck, well, I guess they both let us rent this place out. And he was like, look, how about, like, you just come inside and just, like, call the company inside. So, two things before we dive into this scene. Zach Krager wanted to write as many red flags into one scene as possible and put it on Bill Skarsgård to play Keith. And Bill Skarsgård, for horror fans like myself, you recognize him as all sorts of monsters from different horror movies. So, of course, I once I saw he was in this movie, I didn't trust his character to fucking... Oh! No, it's dark outside. It's rainy. It looks like no other house in the block, like is like like it, it, it's it's completely dark out. No other lights are on. Like there's just one dude standing in this house who's just telling you that he supposedly rented this house. It's sus as fuck. I find this scene infinitely funny, especially after you've watched this movie once. Oh yeah, no, god yeah. But anyway, so she does enter, and she legitimately, like, asks for, hey, can I see the confirmation for your house? Which is honestly a very smart thing to ask, like, hey, no, I want the confirmation. Uh, She asks for the bathroom, she wanders down, she's kind of just, like, very carefully kind of, like, looking around. And there's a scene when she immediately enters the bathroom, where you just see the dude at the end of the hallway where the kitchen is, just staring down the hallway. Looks real fucking creepy. She eventually, like, leaves the bathroom, enters the living room. He jump scares her. He jump scared me, too. But <laughs> he's just there to show her, like, the confirmation on his phone. It, it is legitimate. Um, he does, um, like, introduce himself, like, you know, hey, my name's Keith. And she, like, goes to leave because she's seen the confirmation. She sees that he also legitimately got this you know house as well and so she goes to leave she's like i'll find like another hotel or something like that she goes to leave and she also introduced herself as tess by this point oh yeah sorry she also introduces you know they they exchange names and stuff like that but keith as she goes to leave is like hey i i I don't want you to sit outside your car like this is you know this isn't like the best neighborhood you know i don't want you to sit alone in, in your car outside um look you can just stay inside Um, And look for a hotel, you know, and find something there. And she clearly looks a little sketched out, but it's like... He's very insistent that this neighborhood is sketchy. And to this point, we haven't seen this neighborhood. Exactly. It's pitch black outside. But it's also scary out because it's pitch black outside. So she tries to call a hotel. It replies with, like, there's a no vacancy. And he's, like, awkwardly babbling in the background. And legitimately... He is acting like I would have acted as well. Because he's like, oh, do you want tea? They have tea there. Oh, there's also, like, an, an open bottle of wine, I guess, left for gifts. Um, if you don't want tea, I can grab you water. Here, look, I'll just put the kettle on for, like, tea. And it's and it's awkward, but it's also very realistic. Um, he then, when he kind of, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, I did put, you know, water on for the tea. But I just remembered that there's a medical convention in the city right now. You probably won't find a place because the convention has like taken all like the places like available. And he's like, Look, why don't you just stay here? Like we both paid money, we both paid to rent this place. You can have the bedroom, I'll take the couch. And then the morning we'll call them, get this all cleared out, and get our money back. Yeah. And she still looks clearly sketched out, but like it looks like there is no other possibility. So she grabs her suitcase. She enters the bedroom. She does lock the door, though. 
The door for the bedroom luckily has a lock, so she locks it. This uh, intro actually makes like a very adamant point about her continually locking doors. Yeah. Her continually locking doors and her honestly being as safe as she possibly can. And like, okay, so I do deeply understand the kind of like woman or like girl experience in this situation because traveling alone is very, very sketchy. Like when you travel alone, when you go anywhere alone, you always like call other people to let you know where you're going to be going for what period of like, what, like for how long, where you're going, how long you're going to be gone so they can check in on you. Like, you know, always having, like, 911 on speed dial, like, as you're, like, walking. It's, like... I even remember when you went to Africa, you would occasionally, like, check in with us while we were in America, even though we were asleep. Yeah, like, hey, I'm here. I'm not... I haven't been kidnapped, and I am doing okay, just in case. Because... Traveling alone is, it's sketchy for a lot of reasons. And honestly, sadly, a lot of those reasons are valid. And a lot of those reasons, unfortunately, are because of my gender, men. Yeah, yeah. It's, so honestly, staying in the same house as a stranger is scary. And she is doing everything, like, right, honestly. Like, everything that you've been told to do. Honestly, one very smart thing that she does is that when she does enter that bedroom, set her suitcase on the bed, she sees Keith's wallet and she takes a picture of his ID, which is honestly really fucking smart. Um, she then, like, you know, walks back to, like, you know, the living room and is like, hey, Keith, I found your wallet. Um, I'm just going to, like, brush my teeth, get like, wash my face, which she does. And then she walks back um, to the living room. And there's, like, you know, as she walks out of the hallway, he's at the little, like, dining room table that's there that sits, like, two people. And honestly, very creepily, there's, like, two wine glasses, a wine bottle, and he's just, like, sitting there tense. Well, like, I can understand Keith at, you know, male perspective. Yeah, yeah. He isn't a bad guy. He's doing all the wrong things, but he's trying to do the right thing. Exactly. Which is the roughest part about being a guy. Sometimes, like, we will try to do the right thing and then just come off way more, like, sketchy than we ever have intended in our life. Like, right? Because he's sitting down, right? He doesn't want to tower, like, over her or be creepily, like, waiting at the end of the hallway. He got two glasses ready, you know, to be polite, you know? But seeing him just sitting there, staring at her, little awkward. And, like, he also has the know-how to, like, Okay, this is unopened. She yeah. didn't drink the tea I offered her. Yeah. So I'm going to open this in front of her. So I'm assuming that he wants her to know he didn't, like, lace it yeah. or drug it or anything. He is trying to be as upfront in the scenario as possible. It looks like he does understand that this situation itself is unbalanced with her kind of at the lower end of the scales so he's trying his best you know he's trying to put his best foot forward he tells her hey like he tells her front like hey i noticed you didn't drink the tea that's okay um and i wanted to offer the wine just in case and i left it like unopened so that you could see that it wasn't opened when you like sat down and she was like no i don't really want to drink any wines that's fine and he tells her oh by the way like the sheets aren't like 
ready yet. So you might have to just like wait maybe like an hour or something until they're ready. And she's like, hey, like, I'm sorry about like, you know, that I'm taking the bed that you have to stay on the couch. And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. I can sleep anywhere. I've she, slept on worse. Yeah, he's slept on worse. And she does like eventually kind of just like sit, you know, sit down, right? And Lower so they- Lower her guard a little bit. Exactly. And then, you know, he obviously asks like, oh, hey, by the way, what are you doing in Detroit? And she's like, oh, um, I'm here for a job interview. And he's like, oh, well, what's the job interview for? And she's actually um, wants to be a, um, I think it was like a research assistant for a um, documentary filmmaker is like, or maybe it is like a, the research p- position for the, the documentary. She is going for specifically the research, yes. Yes. And, you know, and as like, you know, she says it, she's like, oh, like, what's the, like, you know, director's name? She drops it. And she was like, oh, she made, theoretically, this is her, like, last newest film. And she's like, you probably haven't heard of it. But he actually has. And he actually genuinely enjoyed it. And she's like, no, you've actually seen the movie. And he's like, no. And he gives specific scenes that he enjoyed from the movie. And you see, like, a kind of, like, another barrier, like, kind of lower, right? And they start chatting. And he's like, oh, so, like, what is her newest piece going to be about? And she says, well, it's actually going to be about Detroit. And like the, the music collectives, I believe, are the exact words used. I think music and like artist collective, like done in the last 10 years, I think she specifically mentions or something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. And he was like, oh, you know who you didn't through? And she's like, who? And he's like, me, because I'm a part of one of those groups. And she's like, no fucking way. And he's like, yeah, I'm. And then she's like, why are you staying at this random fucking Airbnb? And he's like, well... I needed a place to stay because, like, the last place closed down and I'm looking for... And I'm helping scout for a new place for, like, a, for a community setup. And so there's, like, clearly, like, you know, like, they have a lot of, like, you know, commonalities, things in common. So they... Honestly, the next scene shows them, like, just on the couch, drinking a bottle of wine and chatting. Yeah, she is now also partaked in the wine as well. Yeah. So, again, another barrier has come down during this scene. Yeah, and they're chatting. They seem to be, like, having a good time um, when the sheets are, like... And it's also, there's, like, a brief, brief, like, little scene where you see that the dryer has been, like, off. For a while, like the, you, you check on the dryer room, and he said an hour until the dryer sheets were ready, and it's been off. And so they've been chatting for like a couple hours, which is nice. Um, they do go back, and he helps her like set up the bedroom with new sheets. He actually shows her a very specific way to get like what is it the do um the duvet. Thank you, the duvet on. Which honestly, I'm taking with me because I liked his idea. It looks ridiculous as all hell, though. But it worked! And, like, I think this is probably, like, the cutest scene in it. Because, like, they do some teamwork, they get the duvet all figured out, and, like, after they get it set up on the bed, like, there's this moment where, like, in my brain I go, and kiss. And kiss. Yeah, because they just look (laughs) genuinely happy and cute together. But, um, you know, he heads out to, like, the living room, and she heads down to go to sleep. They both stand there awkwardly for, like, a little bit too long, Like, where it's like, there's definitely chemistry, but we've also known each other for two hours. It's a little weird. But she goes to lay down. She wakes up, and the door is open, and she hears sounds. Also, important detail. She did not lock the door that time. No. To be fair, like, they'd had a couple of glasses of wine, right? But she, yeah, so she wakes up, she sees the door open, and she hears sounds. And to be honest, they're strange sounds. 
as she like walks out the door though and peers down the living room, you can see Keith and he's laid up on the couch and he's he's having a nightmare. A nightmare, a night terror. It's it's something along those lines because yeah. like he's twitching, he's screaming, he looks He's whimpering too, I'm pretty scared. sure. Scared. Yeah, he looks scared. He looks like he's not having a good time. And so she kind of just gets closer and she doesn't want to touch him, which honestly I think is good. Like people who have like, nightmares, like don't don't touch them. Like at least I've been known to like punch people yeah, in my sleep. I've been known to thrash. It's don't get yourself injured. But she keeps calling his name louder and louder and louder. And we do see though that behind her the door is closed. Yes. The bedroom. Yes, we see a door further down the hall slowly close as she gets closer to Keith. It's very creepy. Keith does wake up, and he freaks out. But, again, kudos to him because he had just woken up from a nightmare, and he's a little freaked out. He's like, why the fuck did you wake me up? Why are you out of bed? Why are you standing over me? And she's like, did you open my door? And he's like, no, why the fuck would I open your door? And she's like, I don't know. Um, She apologizes and leaves. Yeah, she apologizes and leaves, and she locks the bedroom door, though. Jiggles well, it a few times, make sure it's, it's locked. Yeah. not, like, gonna creak back open. Because I think maybe she thought, like, maybe the door's just old and it swung open without the lock. Exactly. And so she goes to bed. And she wakes up in the morning. She's slept a little bit. Daytime has, like, fully happened. She gets out. She gets ready. And she sees that Keith has left actually a very nice note. Just, like, a little, like, nice little written note. Like, hey... I hope you have a great day. You're going to kill it with the interview. And I had a great night last night. And she smiles and she seems just like, hey, like, this is nice. She walks out the front door, though. And you understand why Keith was so hesitant to have her sit outside in her car. Yeah, no, this is a dilapidated neighborhood. And creepy as shit. It is dilapidated, overgrown. There is graffiti on the houses. It's not just overgrown and dilapidated, but, like... You can smell the rot through the screen. Yeah, it looks bad. And she drives for a while to get out of it. It is not like one bad neighborhood. No, this neighborhood is out in the middle of nowhere. It's an abandoned suburb. It is an abandoned suburb. And it takes a while for her to drive out of it. And each house she passes is creepier than the last. And it is... It's not looking good. But she drives into the city. She, you know, she's just at a cafe. And she's looking at the picture on her phone that has Keith's, like, little, like, license on it. And, you know, she, like, you know, in like um, enlarges the picture. And she smiles, like, you know, at Keith's, like, photograph. And she seems generally happy to have met him. So as the um, hopeful interviewer comes in, they get to chatting. And then, you know, after the interview is done, like, they both walk outside the cafe. And, you know, they're still, like, just chatting, but, like, they've moved on. And so, like, uh, you know, the interviewer, like, the documentary maker, asks Tess, like, hey, where Where are you you staying? And Tess is like, oh, down Barbary Street. And there is an immediate look of fear in this woman's eyes. Like, that's where you're staying? And Tess is like, no, no, no. And then just seems to recall where she's actually staying and is like well I have I have like a roommate and like you know the lady's like alright but like I feel like 
there was most definitely like an urban legend about that area in oh. this universe. She knew the urban legend was about to tell her the urban legend, but because of uh, Tess's straight up like denial of anything sketchy being there, she withholds the information just because of Tess's adamance about how safe she is. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, is, like, the area is sketchy and just, as as we saw, just... Dilapidated. Dilapidated. Like, even if she hadn't heard any, like, rumors of the barbarian, like, it, it is, like, a long, like, vacated suburban area. And, like, you can clearly tell that she was, like, sketched out, but, like, at least smallly, like, reassured, like, oh... There is someone staying. There is someone that you were staying with, so at least there is that. After that, after like she has very much sketched out her like employer, um, she drives back to the house. She gets out of her car and she sees a man. Like looks like a homeless dude. She doesn't see the man. She goes to the door, or starts heading toward the door, and he starts shouting. Oh, yeah. And booking it towards her, too. Like, running at her. Like, like screaming at her. She runs towards the door, is, like, trying to get it open. She grabs, she manages, like, to put in the correct key information. Grabs the key, opens the door, shuts the door. Right when the guy comes and is slamming on the door, get out of that house. Get out of that house. Unfortunately, he keeps on calling her little girl. Yeah. And I don't... He's trying to do the right thing here. We don't know this at the time. He is trying to be helpful. But again, it's like when we're first introduced to Keith, there are so many red flags. How could we think he's being genuine? Especially with the way, like, literal girl, that, like, diminutive, like, saying and the way he's screaming and being so aggressive. And also, Why are we going to believe them? Unfortunately, this is classism showing because, like, a homeless vagrant running at you that's like get the fuck out of there you the immediate assumption for me is that person does not have my best interest in mind yeah and that's just the way our system has built us to think yeah and there's there's also just like that kind of like such like aggressive like language is just deliberately off-putting and i know why she would not like want to like let this guy in he's also banging on the door and so like the next shot we get is her packing her bags and calling the police and i gotta say it looks perhaps in any universe that cops are pretty useless because she's calling the police as she's like looking and she's like telling them about how there was like a homeless guy outside like the the place she's renting who had like threatened her and she's freaking out and the police is like oh i'm sorry there are no available units in your area and she's like i am in danger and they do not care which is gonna be a theme in the movie and the thing that is because for this the overarching theme of this movie is it really does like show itself in like the later parts of the movie, but even now there is this kind of repeatedness where Tess is not believed. Well, not just the time. not that she's believed, but the system that we have put in place, mm-hmm. women like Tess, who she is a black American yeah. woman, yeah. So she is so disadvantaged to the system. 
Yeah. That, like, of course the cops aren't going to help. Oh, of God, course no. she has to have her guard on high. Like, yeah. I will never understand what she goes through. Exactly. And after that kind of just, like, helpless call to the police, she packs, um, and she just goes, like, she's like, I'm going to take a piss and then I'm going to leave, right? Sadly, there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. So she goes looking for toilet paper. It's in the basement. As she goes back up, the thing about the basement door is that it kind of, like, automatically closes. Just the way things are weighted in the house, it just automatically slides shut and locks itself, which is bad, which is not good. Maybe someone built it that way. Which is not a good way to think of things. But anyway, the door slides itself shut. She goes, like, looking through the basement to try and find a way out. There is, like, a, a like a small, thin, like, window to, like, open air out, like, I guess. But besides that, like, she's looking for a key, something to, like, jangle the lock open or something like that. And she finds, though, a rope in the wall. And confused, she opens that and opens a portal to hell. Like, it, the door op- swings open inward, I believe. And it's just darkness. It is a black pit. And honestly, I've never empathized with a character more when she just looks at that and says, nope. And walks back up the stairs. She eventually is just, like, sitting on the stairs, staring at the door. But, and an honestly very intelligent move that she makes. She grabs the mirror and uh, that is in the basement and it's like a full stand mirror so you can see your whole body in it and she positions it with a chair with the kind of like hanging um, light to reflect light down the hall still really sketchy such a beautiful shot though of like a searchlight in the darkness yeah and also when she stands in front of it to peer down the hallway and you're in the position where you're looking from the hallway to her. It is, it is, it's well shot. It is very well shot. I mean, very intentionally, the promo art is her looking down the hallway. And it's very prevalent to how the movie goes. But uh, as she peers down the hallway, she does see a door with a knob that is reflecting the light. So far braver than I will ever be. Because honestly, if I saw that, I would just break the window and get the fuck out of there. I'd be like, nope, I am going to find something. I'm going to either break down that door up there. Like, I will use the mirror to break down that door. Or I I would just leave by that point in time. But she is far braver than me. Well, I'd like to think I wouldn't go exploring. But I I feel like, unfortunately, I would get honey-butted, honey-potted so good into that trap. You couldn't. You could not pay me to. I would have been like, nope. Bye. But anyway, she walks down the hallway to that first room and sees within it something just... And the thing is, is again, what I do appreciate with that movie is it is very good at showing and not telling. And so the room is open, the door is open, and it is a single bed, a bucket, and a camera. She pointed at the bed. And there are bloody handprints. Yes. Just kind of scattered about the room. Now, I don't know how well you were able to tell the purpose of this room. When you first saw it, did you think it was more of a torture room? Or did you know kind of where that was going to lead? With the bed and no sheets and the camera, I was like... 
Hopefully this was all consensual, but I don't think it was, sadly. Well, here's the thing. If it was consensual, you wouldn't need a secret tunnel to get to it. Yeah, yes. Like, I was hoping, I was like, maybe, maybe there's an explanation for this. Maybe they were just really kinky people, and and they just didn't want anybody else to know. Maybe, maybe that would, uh, but I was just... I was just trying to convince myself to something that I knew was not in the reality. But as that happens, we hear knocking from outside. Tess runs back into the living room and she... The uh, main room of the basement, yeah, not the, the living room. Yeah, sorry, the main basement. And she peers out the little, like, window meant to ventilate. And she sees Keith and she starts banging on the window. Keith sees her. And I like that he just, like, cocks his head, sees the movement, sees it at Tess, and is like... What the fuck? He even laughs at her a little. Like, what the fuck? But he goes, he opens it, he pulls her out, and she's obviously freaking out. She's distressed. He doesn't pull her out. Oh. He, she puts the key oh, through. Oh, yeah. He comes around and opens the door. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. That is a later scene. <laughs> that is a later scene. Yeah, so, um, as she's like, you know, as he like, like, opens the door out of the basement, she runs out, she starts telling him what she found, and she's freaking out, and terrified terrified and he keeps saying Tess calm down calm down and like and she tells him that she saw a room with the bed and the bucket and the camera in the basement behind a secret door and he's minimalizing it yeah and like the thing is is like even for me like I knew what that meant like I knew what that meant and I had like that kind of pit of dread in the bottom of my stomach and he's like how is that weird, right? He took, like, my please let it just be this and automatically assumed it was for something fine. He was like, a bucket? Like, a bed and bucket in the basement? Like, and I I think that is just meant to, like, really impress upon the audience the different views that they're coming from. Well, the movie even makes a point, like, when they first get in the house together and really start talking with the wine, she says... She never would have let him in, but he would have pressed through anyway because that's what it's like to be a man where I, as a woman, have to kind of force myself to do what you, as a man, naturally do. Yeah. And, like, you know, and he kind of, like, brings it up as kind of like a double standard. Like, yeah, you would have never let me in the house. And she's like, no, the fuck I wouldn't. And I was like, yeah, fuck no. Like, no way in hell. And it's just the two very different viewpoints between, like, it's a check your privilege moment. It really is. And so, and honestly, he's kind of gaslighting her a little bit. Like, why? That wouldn't be weird. Tess, calm down. But he wants to check it out before they leave. And she's like, no, we need to leave right now. And he's like, look, like, I'm going to go down there. Can you please wait in the living room? Give me 20 seconds. Give me 30 seconds. And I'll just be down there. I'll check it out. If there's something, I'll come back up and we'll leave. And while he goes down to the basement, he doesn't come back. Not for a good while, too. Yeah, she is waiting there. And she keeps calling his name, repeating his name. She eventually gets close enough where she gets to the top of the stairs for the basement. She keeps calling his name. She hears nothing. She, honestly, what is a really smart thing is because when she first goes down those first couple steps, the basement door automatically starts to swing closed. She stops it just in time. She goes back upstairs. She grabs a chair and she props the door open. 
She then goes back downstairs and she is standing again in the beginning hallway calling for Keith. And here is the difference. I would not have gone back down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Keith. I I would not have gone back down. I would not have gone back down. Because she enters. She keeps walking down. She goes into the room with the camera. Checks under the bed. He's not there. She goes as farther down the hallway. Sees another door. She opens that door, which is an even deeper pit to hell. And very... Very vaguely, you can hear Keith call out, help. Help, help me. I wouldn't have gone down. Like I would not have gone down. It's the trolley question all over again. I, but I, I know immediately what I have not done. Like, sorry, Keith, but I have known you for a tops of two hours. I'm not going down there. I'll get help. I, I, I would have left, gone back in my car, drived to the nearest police station, and been like... I would have taken pictures, right? I would have taken pictures of the room. I would have taken pictures of the hallway, pit to hell. I would have gone to the police. I would have been like, look, do something. Or like, I'm going to like, you know, like try and like contact maybe Keith's family. Like, because I had a picture of his ID. I would have tried to find them on Facebook or something like that. Hey, like, hey, your son is going missing and he's gone missing in this house. But I would not. I would have not. I'm sorry, Keith. I would not have gone back down. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, uh. She goes back down. She goes back down. And I'm like, at this point in time, I am screaming at her like, don't go down. Leave him to die. Don't do it, Tess. Don't do it. And uh, <sighs> just to also mention, like, Grace is also starting to hide behind me. Oh, yeah. No, I'm using him as a physical barrier to hide myself. I also start to gag, I'm pretty sure, with the amount of, like, fear pumping through my vents. It's like, I the gag reflex appears. Nothing has happened at this oh, point. Oh, God. Nothing has happened. We just hear vague calls of help me, which in the most innocent of ways could have just been him, like, hey, I can't get this door open. Can you help me? But, no, the way he was shouting That's true. That's... was like, I hurt myself. Yeah. But anyway... She goes down and she goes down the hall, down, 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 and no. she meets a gate. She gets to the, uh, what I will so flowerly call the rape room. Oh, oh well, I mean, well, we, we <laughs> and already- And finds the secret door that's even beside that, because she didn't find that the first time. Oh, no, no, she didn't. I thought I explained that. That there was a door at the end of the hall that she went past that. Because she opens it, and that's when you hear, help me. Because as she's- a exploring the, the camera room she, we don't hear anything it isn't until she finds that secret door and she opens that well, I mean, I think it was less secret and more just like it's at the back of the hallway you can't really see it because it doesn't have like a really big doorknob or anything I think it's just like a pull open like it's just a wooden like kind of like crosshatch door she pulls that open and that's when you hear the help me okay cool I must have missed you saying that somehow, I did go on a while for how I would have left Keith to die. Sometimes <laughs> I feel like you will say something and I'll, I'd like, I notice it in my editing. Yeah. I'll repeat the information just in case it was missed. Yeah. And often I'll just leave in both instances of yeah. the information yeah. just because, like, I'm a forgetful motherfucker. Yeah, for me, I was like, okay, yeah, and then there was a secret drawer. But also, I would have left Keith to die. I would have left that man. But getting back on track, um, she goes, like, she finds that, like, yeah, like, that kind of, like, wooden door. She goes deeper e into the basement. And 
at there's there's this at she goes deeper and deeper and deeper she does keep hearing keith say help me and then it goes quiet and then she there is this gate there's this like kind of like pull across like metal gate that is open which is more doubly horrifying why did keith go this far yeah yeah also the thing is is that keith if he's gone this far he it was too late like like, it's that's more than your 30 seconds, and why the fuck weren't you satisfied with the rape room upstairs? Exactly. Because, like, if I... Because I think the thing is, is that we would have heard something if he had been attacked in that just basement. He had to have gone deeper to be attacked without us hearing screaming. So he went deep before he was attacked. And I would have seen that room, the camera, I'd have been like, nope getting the fuck out of there but he went deeper he found the other door he went down and the thing is is that just past the cages or sorry just past the gate there is an alcove where there is about four four or five cages i think we saw one side of the alcove so if i'm imagining this guy to be like symmetry there's eight cages if there's just one side of the alcove there's four cages yeah i think yeah i think i think there was like two one and then two in that just one alcove, but there might have been an alcove on the other side with like we never see. Yeah, we never see. But as she looks into like this alcove, there are these like five cages, and there are old bowls, old like empty, dog bowls, like old empty dog bowls, and everything is just covered in rust. But it has been clearly used. And well, as she keeps going down, we see. Keith crawling on all fours. This scared the shit out, Grace. Yeah, it really did. I screamed. Andrew even warned me, like, "Hey, he's gonna come down the hallway." And I was like, "Okay, thanks." And then he came down the hallway, and I screamed. <laughs> but anyway, he says to Tess, "Someone else is down here. Someone bit me." And the thing is, is that she's like, "Come on, get up, let's run." And he, there's just like this other instance where he's just like, "No, no, no, follow me, follow me, follow me," and she's like, "No." get up run and he is just not listening to her and like i get it he's stressed he's freaking out but like he's also lost his phone and has been in complete darkness so of course he's turned around yeah he is turned around he's freaking out but it's like that kind of like reaffirmation of just people not listening to tess but well as he's like grabbing tess and telling her like no no no, no listen to me listen to me Someone comes up and bashes his head against the wall and does it again and again and again until his face is bloody. And then it drops Keith and we get an image of the barbarian. The mother. The mother. Just this naked woman with like stringy black hair, like rotted teeth that are and her lips are pulled back constantly and these eyes are sunken in and yellow. This is someone who's lived in the dark their entire life. And, like, um, information we figure out about the barbarian helps, or the mother, helps really kind of give the full picture of why she is so lanky, grotesque, kind of like a Leatherface or Jason without a mask, kind of like the creatures from the hills have eyes, very much 
akin to the creature at the end of Wreck and Quarantine. All these are films Grace I've hasn't seen. I've never seen. Yeah, I, have, seen. I don't understand any of the references. But as a horror fan, you look at this and this is like your classic mutated human humanoid look. Yeah, and there are... And one of the things is, is that she could not have been eating healthily down there, but... I don't know how a way to say this, like, politely, but even in that brief scene where we kind of get the full image of her, this, this, I'm so sorry, it's got a little, 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 little gross and probably too much information, but her, um, breasts are too full. If, I know that's a nasty thing to say, but, like, when you go through, like, food deprivation, like, your titties are full of fat. You, you you starve yourself, that goes away. But okay. hers are like... Best. No stupid questions, right? Yeah. Is she producing milk and does that change the shape of boobs? It does. Because I'm going to spoil yeah. scene a little bit later. Is that her milk in the bottle or is that formula milk? Because that might attest to why she has so uh, full breasts yeah i was i was thinking that was hers because one like having a kid changes your body for like and ever. like yeah she's lanky but i wouldn't call her scrawny by that any demeanor that is well that is true she does have like she does look fed but just with how thin her arms are i was just like why is the rest of her skinny and that so like filled filled and it was and it just is like at first i was like what the fuck is going on but then later in the movie i was like i think there was like a like a reason for that and i think it's maybe because she has perhaps had children just none of them ever survived that is my theory that is like my yeah. film theory the Don't, film never says anything does about not this. say anything about that so that's all speculation that is all speculation after that horrifying scene, we fade to black. And we get Ricky Tiki Tavi, the mongoose. Sung by AJ, played by Justin Long. Yeah. And as a horror fan, you know, he's not going to have a good time in this movie. Oh, he is not. No, he's like in this snazzy red sports car driving down the California coast, singing along to, like, this old-time song, having a blast, real king of the world. And the thing is, is that when I first saw this scene, I thought we were back in, like, the 70s. There is this very classic, like, again, it's an old song, the way he's dressed, the year of his car. I thought we had gone back in time. Well, I think it's also, like, such a stark difference from everything leading up to this. Yeah. Because Tess's intro was dark and moody. This guy, AJ, he comes in and it's, like, a bright, sunshiny day, quite literally. But I think it's also their outlooks on life. Because Tess is... She flew across the country to Detroit... For a reason, for a job interview. And like, again, speculation, I think it's an abusive boyfriend. I, I mean, honestly, so do I. Like, and so she is probably not at the best moment in her life. So it, of course, it is dark and it is rainy. For AJ, though. It's the best time of his it life. Is, it's a high time. He's singing along the radio. He gets a phone call. He's like, oh, what's up, Melissa? And she's like, hey, 
we need to talk. We need to talk. And he's like, yeah, sure, what about? And she's like, there have been some accusations made against you. There has been a report of harassment. And at this point in time... Sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct. And Melissa, at least on the phone, is very... As neutral as you can be. As neutral as you can be. There is another guy that, like, is also on the line. I'm imagining it's like a conference room with a few of his agents. A few of his agents. And he is definitely trying to be the peacemaker of this call. Um, He's trying very delicately to put in things like, Hey, so you might be paused for your employment. And AJ is just like, so I'm fired. And Melissa's like, that looks to be the case. And like... And uh, we get the first drop of the word rape in this movie because the allegation is that he raped his co-star. Well, I don't even think co-star because I it's a he weird he brought her onto the job he, yeah he that was the thing is that he brought her onto the job because the thing is uh, yeah no it's just yeah so there is they are clearly like there has been an allegation against you it has been thought like it has been brought to our attention that you might have raped yeah like a colleague co-worker and AJ complains that she was brought on after him why aren't they listening why aren't they talking to him first and then I think it's the man on the line. I don't think we ever get his name who says something. And AJ is like, no, 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 no. Go back to that. What else is there? And apparently this this story is going to be on... Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Like, yeah, I think there was a certain newspaper or like kind of like not not radio show, but like news, like a news station was going to broadcast the situation. Like um, a BuzzFeed or I, I'm assuming it's like a, more of a tabloid than a main station, but it'll be picked up by main stations fast, even if it's tabloid. Yeah. And um, he is just ranting. He's raving. He's like, how could you do this to me? That fucking bitch. Yeah. He, yeah, he drops it. And they, I think, pretty sure they kind of hang up on him. They do. Yeah. They hang up on him. AJ pulls over and starts freaking out. Um, And the thing is, is that the next shot we get in the film is of these picturesque pictures of a family. Like, a dad, his, like... Loving wife, wife, his kids. His kids, and he looks genuinely happy. I think there's, like, a picture of him, like, holding up his, like, daughter or something while his wife is behind him. Like, these loving pictures. And as the scene pans out, as the screen gets wider, you see this stern-looking man sitting behind a desk, and AJ is in front of him. He's clearly nervous. Like, his knee is, like, jittering. Like, his feet, his, like, hands are shaking. And he's talking with this guy about what does he have left? He's like, hey, so like, so what's, what's happening? And he says, well. With the best lawyers, with the best defense team, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to countersue for defamation. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to get these charges off of me because I'm going to win because I'm telling the truth. And also I'm going to sue them for defamation. But all in all, each court case is about to be like $70,000. And the guy behind the counter is just like, so that's like $140,000. Like $140, and he's like, well, yeah, well, well, tell it to me. How much do I have? And the guy's like, well, with nothing coming in, with you having no in real income anymore, because he just got fired from his job, it looks like you're going to be out of money in about three months. And AJ's like, fuck it. Well, what about what about my like properties in? I think it was what was it? Michigan. In Michigan, yeah. What about my properties in Michigan? And the guy's like, well, those aren't making you money. You could sell your place here in California. That would make you money. That would get you going for a while. But he's like, well, I, 
I, this is my house though. Why don't I just sell the properties in Michigan? And he's like, I don't think, I don't think. That'll buy you a few months tops. Yeah. And the guy also tells him after this, he's like, by the way, after like, like the month is over, I'm going to hand you your paperwork. And AJ's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And the guy's like, you were no longer be like. I'm terminating our relationship, basically. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm terminating our contract. You you will no longer be in partnership with this, like, you know, firm. And honestly, good for him. Like, that guy was just very calmly like, yeah, I'm cutting all contact. And AJ's, like, pissed. He's like, wow, so you're dropping me, too. The next scene is kind of... Um, Him AJ. going through the airport, I believe. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's AJ going through the airport. He um, he has his, like, bag with him. He's going down. He goes into, like, a garage, like a parking garage. He gets into a car, and he's on the phone. And he notices also that, um, like, there's an article that pops up, I think, either on his phone or in a kiosk he sees, where it's him... And it's about the allegations. And he's on the phone with his lawyer as he's walking around. And he's chatting with his lawyer. And he says to his lawyer that he wants to contact her. That he wants to contact the person. And he says, oh, I could get this all figured out like that. I could get it figured out by the end of the day. No harm. And the lawyer's like... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You will not contact her again. You will not be... Any contact will be through me. And uh, the lawyer's like, where are you? And because, like, the guy's like, oh, I'm in a rental car. And he's like, why are you in a rental car? And AJ's like, well, I'm in Detroit. And Laura's like, why the fuck are you in Detroit? You're not supposed to leave the state. And the lawyer's like, like, the lawyer's like, you're not supposed to leave the state. And AJ's like, well, why not? Like, I can go wherever the fuck I want. And the lawyer's like, it's a bad look if you leave the state. And AJ's like, well, why? Am I going to be arrested? And the lawyer's like, most likely. And, like, but, like, he tells his lawyer, like, well, if I'm going to keep you on my payroll, I need to liquidate some assets. He's in Detroit. He's, well, he's in Michigan. He's trying to, like... Yes, he's running, but he's not running to get away from it. He's running to literally just get more money to throw money at its issue. Exactly. Like, trying to gather everything he has. He does hang up the phone eventually, and, well, when he pulls up to one of the properties that he owns... It's the Barbary house. Well, he also has to get the keys. Oh, yeah. And... Oh, yeah, I forgot. The chick at the desk luckily doesn't recognize him and gives him his shit. But, like, he's in that very beginning phase of, like, there goes your Hollywood career, dude. Yeah, there goes it all. It's, It's out the door. But he does pull up to the Barbary house where there is, well, car out front. And it's Tess's car. You can tell by the little snake charm. Yeah, it is Tess's car. He um, walks in, opens the door, and, uh, well, starts noticing stuff. Keeps like, stuff. Keeps Tess's stuff. stuff. Tess's stuff. Um, he just starts, you know, noticing toothbrushes, clothing. And so he calls, like, the company that, like, I guess is the middleman for his house. Yeah, the booking agency. I think he calls her Bonnie. Bonnie! Bonnie! Like, he's like... Who is it? Is someone staying in this house? And she tells, no, it's been a few weeks since we last rented it out. And he's like, well, why don't the fucking maids clean out this shit? And she was like, the maids don't come until like a couple of days before the place is rented out to clean up. And he's Which like, makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense. Like, why clean it right there? Not why not just like wait until like the next people come in? And he's just like, honestly... He's just pissed and he's just taking it out on someone. He's like, well, I want them to clean the house. What if they wreck the place? And like, Bonnie's like, well, 
have a good day, and just hangs up on that fucker. Well, she doesn't hang up on him until he calls her a fucking bitch. Oh, yeah. And then she just, like, hangs up on him, and he's still yelling at her. Yeah, and you can, like, as she hangs up, it is the, I recognize the customer voice, like, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Please call (laughs) back again later. And then just clicks. Um, Later, we cut to him and, like, the bathroom just brushing his teeth and he is on the phone with his mom and oof like i would never talk to my mother this way like maybe you could have a different relationship with your mom but like as he's talking to her like she's like oh like how are you doing are you all right and he's like like oh like my life's to shit what do you mean like that fucking bitch and she's like hey like language you don't tell that about people and he's like what have you been telling people have you been telling them that it's wrong and she's like well why don't you come home for a little while like your father really wants to see you and then like it's clear this man has many issues because like he's like did dad say that did actually dad actually want to see me and she's like well like you know how he is and then he gets another phone call and he just hangs up on his mom as she's telling him, I, I love, love you. you. Yeah, she's like, well, like, because he's like, oh, I have an important business call, mom. I got to go. And she's like, all right, well, please call back again soon. I lo-. And he hangs up on her. And he says, what's up, faggot? Yeah. It's like, okay, I know exactly who you are now. Yeah. Like, he says that. And I'm just like, oh, God, no. And it's a friend, and he's going out to a bar with a friend. And as they're kind of just, like, in this bar drinking and talking, the friend is like... What really happened? Yeah, what really happened? And, like, you know, the AJ immediately starts defending himself. Like, hey, like, you better not have believed whatever you heard. That's, like, bullshit. She's a bitch. And the friend's like, no, 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 I haven't believed anything. I just want to hear it from you. Man to man. Man to man. And as he starts talking... He starts describing coercion. Yeah. And... I think he even brings up, like, yeah, like, you know, she wasn't into it. She wasn't into it. And I was like, what? Do you want me to lay a rape you? (laughs) Joke, joke. And then I'm like, oh, no. No, it's not that. It's just, like, she said no, but he kept on pressing. Yeah, and, I, and uh, he basically got her to say yes by not stopping. Yeah, and I think he even says to his friend, like, oh, yeah, like, you know me, I was just, like, dogging her, you know? Persistent. Persistent. And it's... Coercion is rape. Yeah, like, that is that is not enthusiastic consent. And, like, the way he said, well, you know how I am. And I'm like, that's not... That's not good. That is the least comforting sentence I've heard all day. Oh, God. Like, and I'm just like, oh, this is, that's not good. Eventually, though, we click to him staggering into his Airbnb um, that he had, like, that he rents out shit-faced. Passes out immediately morning. Well, actually. Oh, wait. Well, he staggers into his house. He is actually on the phone. He is drunk, and he is called... Somebody he calls Megan. And he says, can you call me back? I just want to apologize. I'm so sorry. Please call me back. I'll, if you want me to apologize, I'll apologize. Just call me back and I'll say I'm sorry again. And uh, then we cut to morning where he is... Not having a great time. Oh, I almost forgot. One thing he does mention, though, while he's on the phone is he says, 
well, you know how two people can have two different views of a situation. And then I think that's when he says, I'm so sorry. And, like, I feel like that sentence is pretty much this movie in a nutshell. Yeah, like, it's then, like, that he comes to, he wakes up, and he is immediately, like, head first in the toilet. Vomit. But as he, like, throws up, has some water, and is in the living room, he starts to go through Tess's and Keith's stuff. Um, he goes through, like, Keith's bag that's in the living room. There's, like, a Jane Eyre book in there. He tosses out the rest. He goes into the bedroom where um, Tess's stuff is, and he sees her pink laptop. He opens it, and it says Tess on there, so he knows, like, that some, you know, that someone, like, had been there. He also does this perfect, though, where he tosses her laptop onto the table. But also the thing is, is that if I had noticed people's bags there, but I had specifically seen a laptop, like... Pete, that was an expensive looking laptop. If I had seen that and I saw her first name and last name, I would have looked on Facebook. I'd have been like, someone went missing because a laptop is something you look for or you call back for. Well, to him, these are just like, in his current view, these are squatters or people who trash the place. So like, also he has money. That's true. He's about to not have money. He's about to not have money, but that's true. If but you were... he has money. So, like, throwing an expensive laptop, that's an easy replace that's if you true. break it. Actually, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, no, if I was filthy fucking rich and I lost my phone, I'd just buy a new phone. Like, but for him, like, it, yeah, it's just a laptop. He can just buy a new one. But as he goes looking through the stuff, he, um, he actually decides to go down to the basement. Because, because he, he heard, heard a noise. Yeah, because he heard a thump. So uh, he looks down at the basement after he hears that kind of thump. And he starts yelling down to the basement like, hey, I have a gun! I have a gun! You better come up here! I he got did a ten not. Sec- yeah, he did not have a gun. And, you know, he starts yelling down. Eventually, so he's like, fuck this. So he goes into the kitchen. He grabs a knife and he grabs a flashlight. And he goes back to the basement. But the thing is, is that when he got to the house, he took away the chair that held open the basement. When he goes down, he doesn't do that. And the basement door closes behind him. But he doesn't notice it. He doesn't notice it. He goes down. He sees the mirror. And he sees the light bulb. Like, things are left exactly how Tess and Keith left it. Oh, also, I fucked up. He At this point in time, he the basement actually stays open, I think. Or he has the key. He has keys. He has the keys. Yeah, he has the keys. So he goes down. He sees that the light is, uh, like, the uh, the basement light is out. Um, But then he also notices a rope that's in an odd place. He pulls open the rope. Door opens. And the next thing we see is him in the living room Googling, Can underground rooms be added to rent? This is the funniest fucking fucking moment in the film. Like... I know this guy's a monster of a character, but the fact that, like, he then, like, after looking this up, goes on my favorite, like, montage of, like, going uh, ass first into danger. Also, the thing is that he's, like, every fucking landlord ever. He's, like, he looks up, can underground rooms be added to rent? And it says, oh, basement and undeveloped rooms can't be really added to rent. But... You can do, like, after charges that can be quoted at the final, like, price you have. And he's like, oh, perfect. I can make this more expensive. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. 
This is mad. Like <laughs> mad is a monster. This man doesn't even look at what type of room he's in. He measures the rape room. Yeah, no, he, like he grabs a tape measure. He goes downstairs. He walks into the room with the bed, the camera, and the bucket with bloody handprints on the walls and moves the bed to get a better measurement. Like this this is so fucking funny to me. I remember the theater I was in just like all of us were laughing at the obscenity of this. Yeah, he measures the hallway. He notices the other door at the end of the hallway, opens it, and it's like, Fuck, fuck yes. yeah. He goes ass first down this staircase, measuring it. And I, I legitimately thought he was going to die ass first. Like, he's he's bending over, like, measuring the like the hall. But also think of the juxtaposition between the intro and his moment. Yeah. Because Tess, with extreme caution, goes down all these hallways. He goes ass first. He goes ass first. Does not give a fuck. But he goes to the room with the bed and the camera. Doesn't even blink. Eventually, he gets to the alcove where the cages are. Says, what the fuck is this? And then measures the cages. Like, Jesus fuck. Eventually, though, he notices a light at the end of the hall. When he wanders down, there is a empty room with a bed, mattress, and blankets. Like, hand-knitted, quilted blankets covering the floor. And a single, small TV, like, An old-school VHS TV. old-school VHS TV. Which seems to be on a loop. There is a mother holding a newborn baby. And she's talking about like... Breastfeeding. Yeah, she's talking about breastfeeding and the best way to like breastfeed. And like what can go wrong, what not to do. If your baby's upset, you're upset. If your baby's happy, you're happy. Exactly. Like, and he just fucking, you know, is just like staring at like that. Like, what? Gross. And then something grabs the tape measure. And it starts to jiggle. It starts to jiggle. And he sees something coming towards him. And he bolts. Yeah, he bolts. The flashlight breaks. He's trying to, like, hit it against his hand to get it to go again. He runs and then falls right into a cage where someone pops out and puts a hand over his mouth. And when we get, when the flashlight comes back on, we see Tess telling him to shush and to be quiet. And then scene change. And we see... We are going back to, like... I would like to say this is like the 50s to 60s era. Yeah, something about like, yeah, it, it's been like 40, like 50, 60 years ago, something like that. Thing is, is that we see the house like newly built bright yellow, but that is not the only thing. The thing is, is that, so we see the entire neighborhood like it was originally purposed, but even that the whole scene, the saturation in the scene is turn is cranked up to 11. Like, all the colors are neon bright. There are, like, bluebirds chirping. The flowers have opened. The sky is bright blue with puffy white clouds. And we, it is completely idyllic. And then a man exits the house, and he looks average. As average as the house and average as the other houses that go down the line. He walks down, like, the little pathway he has. He gets into his car. He, like, but this whole scene, we, I don't even think we get his face. We just get, like, his head. We don't get his face till the grocery market, I believe. No. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. the grocery market. When he and speaks back. And the this thing- is uh, Richard Brake, too, and he's kind of horror royalty. I was yeah. explaining this to Grace. This is like a Rob Zombie regular. This guy uh, played Joe Chill in a Batman adaptation that Christopher Nolan did. It, it, this this guy plays sleazeball like none other. So we get this man who walks down. The camera's still f- too far panned out to see his face. But when he gets into his car, the camera switches. And then we were right behind. All we see is his perfectly slicked hair. His perfect, like, like wrinkle-free, like, button-up shirt. And we just are in the back of the car as it starts to drive again down this perfect idyllic road there's someone like mowing the lawn there's like a kid like you know with like fucking like i don't know like jumping jacks like and it just peels down this little robe down this little quaint little like like little kind of like outlet of like grocery stores and like a like probably there's like a i don't know probably also like a liquor store maybe down there and like i don't know like a a furniture place like a small town idyllic little place and you know he gets out of his car he enters the supermarket and we still are just following him through the the like the um the lanes as he has a grocery cart still only seeing him from the back of the head colorful lights and as he like slowly stops there's a woman who is like kneeling down um putting away stock and she looks up and she's like oh can i help you and he's like oh and that is like as soon as he speaks to her, that is when like the camera pans around and we see his face for the first time. And he tells her that he needs baby supplies. And the thing is, is that as he tells her he needs baby supplies, I expect a reaction, right? He's telling this woman that he's looking for things to take care of a baby, but his eyes are dead and his face is flat. And as this woman starts to chat with him, like, oh, wonderful, you're expecting a little one. Well, I'll, I'll take you right down the aisle. She takes him down the aisle. She's like, oh, like, uh, what are you thinking of? Like, oh, here, here's this VHS tape that you're going to need to help you. And so she hands him the VHS tape, which is what we see later on in the, or earlier on in the film. And then she starts telling him, like, oh, like, oh, how, where are you? Are you going down to, like, the local, like, you know, hospital? And he says, no. Home birth. And the thing is, again, as she's chatting with him, she asks, oh, well, what has your midwife planned? And he's like, just me. And, like, maybe it is my, my modern or just because I've seen what's happening. The way his lines are delivered terrifies me. If I had been her, I would have been calling CPS afterwards because there is no joy in his face he is dead as he gives all of these lines and as she tries to get out of him some semblance of joy about looking forward to like the miracle of birth like but she hands him diapers and she hands him all the stuff and he grabs his stuff he goes to his car and he's about to like open the trunk and as he looks though there is a woman across the street who is also grabbing something at a different store She's beautiful. She's putting stuff in her car. She gets in his car, her car. She starts to drive away. He gets in his car and he starts to follow her. Very discreetly, very practiced. Eventually she pulls up for her house. She gets her stuff. She goes inside. He parks, he parks around the corner. Just casually gets out of his car, opens the trunk. There's a workman's outfit and there's a good sizable like uh, tool bag. He gets out. He walks up to her house. He just knocks on the door. He's like... 
And, you know, she answers and she's like, hello, ma'am. I'm just here with the water so like company. Uh, I believe some houses have been shut out on your street. I just need to check your water. And she's like, yeah, oh, of course. He walks to her bathroom. He turns on the water and he unlocks the window. And it is such a practice notion. And, like, the pit of dread that is in my stomach just grows. Also, this is just an important detail. His uniform says Carlos. Oh, you're right, but his name is given later, and it is a different name. Yes. So the thing is, is that once he unlocks that, he walks back out, and, like, you know, the woman is like, hey, so, like, is there a problem? He's like, nope, but if, you know, something does happen, please call the company. And he just walks outside, gets back in his car, get drives back to his house. As he gets out of the house, his neighbor calls him Frank. Yes. As he walks up and is like, oh, hey, Frank, just want to let you know that I'm leaving. You're, next time you might come out, you'll see a like a for sale sign outside. And he says something along the night along the lines of like this neighborhood's really going downhill. Yeah. And which it, is like old school slang for like people of color have moved yeah. into our neighborhood. And also one thing is that when Frank first get into his car and he turned on the radio the radio was talking about how they're um i think it was talking about the first recession like how like money has been down like for like uh i don't know like something was down 40 percent or something like that and like you know but the, like yeah the first recession was happening and mother like money was starting to leave and as uh, frank's neighbors talking at him he also mentions like you know how his wife is like you know we got to leave all we can and stuff like that and you know, his neighbor's like, oh, well, are you thinking of putting this place up for sales? And, and Frank tells this man, I'm never leaving. And then Frank goes back to his yard, walks into his house. And when he opens his house, there are cleaning supplies everywhere. Like buckets, there's a mop. There is, I think, some sort of large like shovel propped up. Like one you would use for manure inside his house. And there's just... Again, like hardcore cleaning supplies and buckets sattered about. And then when he walks into the back with the baby stuff and opens the basement door, you can hear women screaming. Like, oh, please, no type of screaming. Like, like they've given up on help. And they are just screaming, like full body Screams. I really appreciate how this scene is done. You never see anything, but they give you so much detail that you don't need to see it. Yeah, again, this movie is wonderful at showing and not telling. And being so deliberately, oh gosh, just terrifying. For a movie about, like, sexual assault in all of its forms, it is very held back. It's not like your atypical rape revenge film where, like, you get this almost uh, sometimes pornographic look yeah. on the rape. There is no, like, pleasure taken in any of these scenes. And I think the thing is, is that they know that the most nightmarish thing they can do is leave you to fill in the blanks. Because that's what we will do with the information given to us. But anyway... When he opens the basement door and you hear the screaming, it cuts to Tess. Yeah, Tess and AJ are in this pit that AJ fell into. The barbarian, she has 
closed this kind of like cross hatch like metal lid back over the like to the pit and Tess is telling AJ and thing is is it Tess is immediately trying to help AJ she is like you need to calm down if you get upset she gets upset just go along with it stay calm don't scream she will you will understand and the thing is, is... She's laying down the rules. Exactly. And she's laying down the rules. But the thing is, is that the way she goes about this, there is this, like, survival mentality that I don't think AJ has ever had to live with before. Because the way she explains it, she says, you'll understand. And I don't think AJ would have ever understood. Like, these kind of, like, almost instinctive, re- like, responses. But, like... As Tess is trying to coach AJ, well, the barbarian is back and she has... Milk. Milk. She has, like, a baby bottle. Um, And, like we discussed earlier, we're assuming this is her own breast milk. Yeah, that's what my assumption is. And as she passes it through the top of, like, the, the, the grate... AJ's like, fuck no. He's like, he's shaking his head. He's, like, just... And Tess is like... All she wants is for you to be her baby. Just go along with it. And he keeps shaking his head. Eventually, the bottle is tilted towards Tess. And she gets up and she, like, nurses at the bottle. And when she's done, you know, it's taken away and it's, again, gestured at AJ. It's that type of gesture where you see, like, you're training something. And you're like, you see? They're fine. They did it. Now Now you. you. Now you. And Tess is like, just drink it. Drink it. And Tess is like, she just wants you to be her baby. But when AJ doesn't drink, the barbarian enters. She just, like, jumps down. Like, you would imagine, like, a primate. Like a chimpanzee or a gorilla. And AJ is terrified and then flattens himself to the wall. And then the barbarian quite literally cuddles Tess to her chest. Like, cradles Tess and, like, just pulls her into, like show baby yeah like yeah this is baby and aj's freaking out and like tess is trying to be like look tess is is also freaked out oh tess is freaking the fuck out but she is keeping as calm as she can and going along with it but when aj keeps freaking out and refuses to drink the barbarian is strong she leaps out of the pit and then grabs him by his legs and pulls him out she drags AJ to, well, the baby room, I don't know a better way to, where the TV was playing, where there's just that constant loop of like, you know, best way to breastfeed. And she just is like holding AJ. I guess the best name for it is the nursing room. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so he's in the nursing room and she's clearly trying to um get him to latch, I guess is the best way to put it. Honestly, he deserves every second of Oh, this. God, yeah. Like, it's a horrible thing to say that, but, like, eh. you get what you give. Yeah. And, like, being forced to, like, suck a titty is just as bad as what he did to his co-star, his yeah. co-worker. Yeah, it's just, it's not good. Anyway, as AJ is going through his own stuff, Tass has managed to get out of the pit with his flashlight. She walks down the hallway. She turns off the flashlight when it gets to the nursing room, sees AJ and is like, makes a decision. She keeps walking. She accidentally steps on the tape measure 
and runs. She runs and runs and runs. She manages to get up to the basement. She manages to get to the door, but that final door is locked because it, AJ has the keys and he's down in the basement. She does run to that one window though that she had escaped from before, breaks it open and is trying to crawl her way out as she hears the barbarian coming closer. But hands at that point in time grab her and drag her like out. And it is the homeless man from before. Yes, and like the dude is like, oh, thank God you got out of that house. And as he drags her out and they take a couple steps away from the house, we see the barbarian at the edge. But the thing is, it is daylight currently outside and she will not go out into the light. I mean, she's probably spent her entire life in that basement. In the darkness. In the darkness. And she doesn't feel comfortable stepping out into the broad daylight. And as Tess starts to tell the homeless man... We have to go back. There's someone in there. We have to go get help. The homeless man kind of just lays it out for her. He is like, I tried to tell you when I first saw you at that house not to go in. That is, she is not the worst thing in that house. And she comes out at night. You need to leave. If you do not leave, she will come out at night and she will grab you and she will take you back down there. You have to run now. And... Tess kind of takes his word of advice and starts making her way through the neighborhood. And again, it is dilapidated. There's no one there. And she is just booking it, trying to find living people. We cut back to AJ, though, who, with the barbarian having left to go and try and grab Tess, he is free. But instead of going down the way the barbarian left because obviously she bad idea bad idea right she left that way and while that way is the exit he figures that maybe there's another exit because he goes down the other way and he has his phone and instead of i guess immediately calling the cops he might not have service oh i guess okay that is true but he has his phone so at least he has his flashlight and he starts going down the other way and then at a kind of like cross section i guess he sees a bell, and that bell has a string. A, a string attached to it. And as he like kind of like peers down that other hallway, he hears something behind him. So he starts booking it down the hallway, following that string. He eventually reaches a door, and there's light coming through the cracks of that door. But as he turns around because he hears something, he sees her. At the end of like a like a turn in the like the hall, at like the edge of that light, and you see the outline of her, but she won't come any closer. She's and scared. She is terrified and she eventually slinks back down the hall. And so, well He goes in. He goes in. But then we got to Tess! Tess has found a gas station. And she runs up to the gas station. She goes in and talks to the guy at the counter and tells him that she needs to use a phone. We then flip, though, again to AJ, who has entered the door to go into this room. It is strange. There's, like, cans of food. There is one wall that has either been painted um, or there was, like, what is it like when you have on the wall of a house? A plaster. Plaster. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but like paper, like that you've that has like an image already on it, and you just put it on the wall of your house. 
Yep. Wallpaper! Fuck, it's called wallpaper! I can't tell if it was painted on or if it was wallpaper, but there is an image of, like, palm trees, like, blue skies, on the on faded and crumbling on a couple of the walls of this area. There is light because a TV is showing, kind of showing, I think, going through news or something like that. Um, it seems there's, like, a kind of dilapidated couch. There is a fridge, I think, and it clearly looks like it smells. It is not, it is a rotting place. But as he wanders the area, picking through like empty cans and empty like plastic bottles, AJ finds a dress and that dress is from the woman that was stalked earlier by Frank. Yeah, the beautiful yellow dress. So you know that woman was in fact captured. Yeah. And then he hears something and there is kind of curtains in front of what clearly is a bed. When he peels back the curtain, though, there is this old, decrepit man, though, that is still recognizable. He is... The man. He, he is the, he's he is, Frank. He's Frank. Um, he is clearly... Well, I mean, he's clearly been, like, bedridden for a while now. And, like, he is old. But he is still alive, and he is staring at AJ. We flip to Tess, who has called the police, who are being, who are fucking worthless. Like, Tess clearly, she has been locked away for weeks. She does not look well. And she's clearly freaking the fuck out. And she's trying to tell the police that she has just been kidnapped and that she has just escaped. But they do not believe her at all. It is they just guess, think she's a junkie. They think she's a junkie. Which is, and it's so infuriating to watch them just brush her aside as she is clearly terrified and in distress. We flip again to AJ, who is immediately kind of, like if I had entered that room and if I had seen that old decrepit man, I would have also been terrified, obviously from the reaction earlier from the barbarian. But AJ immediately is like, oh, fellow homie. Like, there What's is, up, my dude? Yeah. I'm gonna get us, me, out of here. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, how long have you been locked in here, dude? Don't worry. I'll get us out of here. And then he was like, oh, do you need help? What do you need? And the man gestures to, like, this kind of, like, rickety, like, bedside table with a bunch of water, like, glasses and, like, glass, like, water jugs on it. He lifts it up and brings it over to the man. He tries to hand the man the water. And the man just waves it aside. He puts it back on there. But he tells him that he's going to escape, that he's going to get help, not to worry. He's um, got to get cops all over this place. Yeah, don't even worry, man. We then flip to Tess, who has actually successfully brought the two police officers. But when she goes to the house and shows them the broken window and says that there is someone still trapped down there, they're like, well, do you have the keys to this house? And she's like, no, they're down in the basement where I just broke out of. Like, I can't get in because this is an Airbnb. You have to go down there and save them. And they are just like, look, the only thing we see is that you've broken a window. You're lucky that we're not bringing you downtown to let you sleep this off. And it's so infuriating. Like, she's trying to get them to help, and they don't. Eventually, something calls over there, like... It's a shooting. Yeah, a shooting down on, like, like, Route 72 or something like that. And so they just leave. But the thing is, is that it is getting dark. And as the homeless man told her early... When it gets dark, she comes out. She breaks the window and goes into the house. Yeah. Well, first we get a flip back to AJ, who is kind of just like exploring the room that Frank is in. And there is a there is a shelf 
that is filled with tapes that are labeled on the side. And they don't have names. Some of them have names. Oh, some of them have names. Some of them are descriptions. Some of them are just like what type of race the woman was. These are the tapes that were made in that room we saw earlier on. I remember one was just, uh, gosh, like uh, Gas Station Girl and stuff like that. Gas Station Redhead was in the TV. Oh, yeah. And, well, he turns and he puts one of them on. That is when we flip to Tess breaking the window and grabbing her keys and walking back out. And then we flip to AJ, who has clearly just watched watched the tape and he looks at frank in bed and says what is wrong with you now this is such an interesting take because from a out outlook on things they're doing the same thing but But aj sees more vindication in his type of sexual assault over frank's it's like I'm bad, but I'm not that. Exactly. Bad. It's it's kind of that situation where it's like he still feels like he is a good man. He doesn't feel like he's done anything truly that horrifying yet, but even he after he's kind of slowly coming to like realization of how badly he has fucked up, can still see what's on those tapes and realize that that is a level of depravity unlike humanlessness that is terrible and horrifying and unachievable for him yeah but as he turns around we see frank and frank has a gun now and the thing is is that as uh aj sees him gets in the gun he's like oh oh sorry man like he starts you know hands raised up backing away but the thing is is that for frank he doesn't want to be imprisoned. Like, he knows he's reached the end of his life. And he's milked as much joy as he can out of his life. And he's just ready. Because he... He's bedbound. He can't do more of this. And even the tapes that he has... If he... The thing is, is that if he is put in prison, he can't watch those tapes more. He can't watch those tapes ever again. And so... He kills himself because if he is arrested, he won't be able to have more quote unquote joy in his life. So he kills himself. And then we cut to Tess, who is in her car, but her car is facing the house. And that is when, well, uh. Mother comes up. Mother comes out of the house screaming. And Tess just fucking guns it and drives the car into the house, smashes through the window. And we see the barbarian slamming at the, like, front window to the car. What is that called? Windshield. Thank you. Windshield. <laughs> slamming welcome. at the windshield. But as she kind of, like, loses energy, Tess and the barbarian make this kind of eye contact. And it's... So far, we have been terrified of the barbarian. But now, as a viewer, we understand a chunk at least of what she has most likely gone through and it's horrifying and you can kind of see this just like realization from Tess but Tess fucking hero that she is I would have gotten out of that car and I would have run back to that gas station but as we all know Tess is a fucking hero so she gets back in that house she wanders downstairs and is shot by AJ yeah no 
Well, in AJ's defense, like, she was standing in front of the nursing room, so all he probably saw was a silhouette. Yeah. And to his knowledge, she's gone. Or she's still in the pit. Yeah, but, like, he has a flashlight on him, but I get it. Like, it's not the worst thing he does, which is saying things, but he shoots her, and he legitimately does freak out he's like oh fuck oh fuck um like i'm sorry i didn't know it was you i wouldn't have shot you otherwise he does help her up and they um he like kind of becomes her crutch as they get outside and the thing is is that he still has the keys on him so he is able to open the basement door and leave she looks over though and sees that the barbarian has vanished as they go down the street he's like yeah um, she's kind of directing him because she says, oh, there is people. There's like a gas station as they're going She's down. directing him to the water tower where the vagrant is. It's closer. Oh, yeah, I forgot. As this goes down, the homeless man does help them in. He helps them in. He gets them next to his kind of like fireplace. And that is when he kind of like tells them like the full situation. He, he just kind of like lays it out like that. Because like, they're like, what the fuck is she? What is going on? And like... AJ kind of knows definitely what is kind of going on in the situation, but the homeless man, I don't think we ever get his name. We the, do not, The homeless man tells him that the barbarian has been there for 40 years and that she's been there for her whole life because that's her daddy's house. But the thing is, is that not only is that her daddy's house, is that that's also her mother's house because... He says, like, to our knowledge, mother is about a fourth generation inbred rape victim. Yeah, because uh, what has been going on in that house that kind of the vagrants in that area have kind of just found out over the years is that he has kept women down there and there have just been more babies produced and that she's perhaps the last one. But then, as we know, the more inbred people get... The more genetic problems genetics mutates, and that is I and I do. That's why I, it is one of my theories that she did actually have like children, just none of them managed to survive, and that's at least my hypothesis for why she is so desperate to have Tess and AJ back as her children. Not only because of that kind of one video that keeps repeating over and over but because in my head she probably maybe even had kids just none of them lived as this like kind of like you know homeless men talks to them aj goes on where like has like you know starts talking about how tess needs help and then aj kind of gets in his own head where he is like i've done her wrong and i'm sorry and i need to fix this I need to fix this problem. And he's not talking about Tess. Oh, he's not talking about Tess. He goes on to say, he's like, I'm just a good man that's done a bad thing, but I'm not a bad man and I can fix this. And it's clear again that he is not talking about Tess. But as like, you know, AJ kind of just gets this off his chest and Tess is just sitting there bleeding. The homeless man sadly and misfortunately tells them, don't worry, like we'll just stay here tonight. And then, like... Nothing the, ever happens. Yeah, like, just, we'll stay here for the night. In the morning, you guys will go and get her help. She has never come here before, and we're safe. So she bursts through the wall like Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> rips this man's arm off, and then beats him to death with it. 
Um, as this is going on, the thing as this happens, AJ and Tess make a break for it. But AJ, okay. They so, climb up the water tower specifically. But the thing is, is that in this moment, I have a personal belief is that when you go through hard times, your true character is revealed. I'm not saying that if, you know, you're hangry and you're bitchy about it, that's who you truly are. But just when push comes to shove, who are you? When AJ thought he was safe, when he was warm, and when he was talking to, like, another dude, he was talking himself up about how he was going to fix all of his mistakes. But as soon as the barbarian come back, comes back and kills someone before his eyes, he leaves Tess in the dust. He runs out, tries to go to the bar, like the fence, but there's barbed wire over the top. Tess is staggering behind him, clutching her waist, trying to follow him. He's darting about, trying to find a safe way to get out. He's the one who starts running up the water tower. Tess is trying to follow him, but she's not keeping up. She's clearly bleeding. She is in pain. And these are stairs that they are trying to get up. He leaves her pretty much as she falls down once, catches herself, gets back up and keeps coming up. But by that point, he is already on the roof of this water tower. And the thing is that he walked up that water tower. He is not bleeding out. He is the one who theoretically should be the most in he should be the most coherent of the two, but he walks up to the roof of this water tower and he's like, there's no way out. There's no way out. This is a dead end. She's going to kill us. I can still escape. And he turns back around as Tess has managed to stagger well, up the steps. Also, Tess reminds him of the gun. And oh, he yeah. Drops, he drops I the fucking, fucking gun. Fog, yeah, because the barbarian at that point in time was walking up the steps. Tess reminds him of the... I totally fucking... He drops it. He drops the gun. Oh, God. And it's at that point in time that he sees her finally making up the stairs. And is just like, only one of us can survive. But I need to ensure that I survive. And so... Assy's, like, just babbling at her, like, oh, like, you never would have survived anyway. He fucking throws her off the water tower. He grabs her by the hair and throws her off. Yeah. And, like, because he's like, yeah, she'll never stop. And then he throws her off the water tower. And uh, we have already, again, made eye contact with the barbarian. We had ar- we've already come to the truth that she is not the true monster in this movie. Because as she sees Tess being thrown off the water tower, she... Dives. Jumps. She dives. And- okay, so this diving scene I saw in theaters, it was much longer than it was in this. So, like... For whole reason why it was only ever a four-star experience for me yeah. was because of how dragged out that dive down the tower was in theaters. Like, it completely unimmersed me from the movie kind when I watched it. Kind of almost made it comedic, I bet. Like, yeah. you just see this old lady falling down face first. like Saggy tits and everything. Yeah, no. And so, like, it's much... It They cut it down. It looks much better now. But, like, I have issues with how they shot that they could have had us like look at old lady ass in her dive down and us not know for a second well i mean the thing the thing is is there is like a kind of deliberate scene where she is holding her arms out for tess i just think they should have cropped it where it wasn't titty out like 
flapping in the wind, probably. Like, if they just cropped it better, like, just with those kind of, like, arms out, like, an almost smile on her face while she is reaching for Tess. And when, when AJ peers over the edge of the water tower, the barbarian has clearly used her body to break Tess's fall. She is underneath Tess, and blood is pooling into the pavement. As... As AJ wanders down and finally goes up to the body, he goes up to Tess, who's actually still fucking alive. Toughest bitch ever. Toughest bitch ever. And is starting to come to, and AJ immediately starts to gaslight her. I'm so sorry. I, my hand slipped. Uh, I didn't mean to throw you. Yeah, I didn't actually throw you. My hand slipped. Like... Like, we wouldn't have survived otherwise. I was just doing the best thing for both of us. Like, his man is fucking gaslighting her. With Tess, with a bullet wound who'd just been thrown off a tower. Like, but as he's trying to fucking gaslight her, of course the barbarian comes out of the grave because she's not going to, like, listen to this. But the thing is, the barbarian's so fucking strong, she, like, like fucking lifts AJ. And the thing is is that uh, I, this is a deserved death it is and the thing is is that i think uh, i think the reason why the barbarian is so quick to like like there i think i don't want to say that the barbarian is like sexist but i do feel like they're like she immediately killed keith like uh, maybe keith struggled a bit but he didn't get a second chance. Well, I think he also probably fought her in the darkness. And the there was a large chunk of time where we do not see Keith. But the thing is, is that Tess also fucking hits the barbarian with her car and pins her. And she still forgives her. Well, it might be like she just met Keith, but she's been nursing that is Tess true. for weeks. There is a is true bond. That is, I didn't even think about that, but that is true. And she just met AJ. So the barbarian, like, fucking strangles him and then uses her thumbs and, like... Gouges out his eyes. With her fucking long ass And nails. uses those eyes to split his skull. Like, yeah. I am so fucking queasy when it comes to eye stuff. I didn't look at it. But like, I looked away. I watched. Like, something about AJ's death is so satisfactory because of how much of a fucking weasel he is. He is, and it, it is really fucking satisfying. But as after she has killed AJ, the barbarian turns back to Tess, who is still just laying there. And the barbarian goes to try and comfort her because she looks down and she sees the blood and her hands like start to flutter and she try she's trying to say baby as she looks at Tess. She says kept saying like bebe, bebe. And, and this has been going on through the movie. Yeah, and she kind of like caresses Tess's head and then starts to point at Tess like like home. home. Like we need to go home. And Tess tells her, I'm not going back there. I am not going back there. And she keeps just... But the barbarian keeps trying to gesture like, no, 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 we need to go. And that is when Tess notices that the gun that AJ dropped is within arm's reach. Tess grabs a gun and points it at the barbarian's skull. But the thing is, is the barbarian has never seen a gun before. She has no recollection of the danger that presents. And so... And like... This is the saddest moment for me because, like, it fully humanizes the mother. 
Yeah, and because the thing is, is that the barbarian kisses her fingers and then taps her fingers to Tess's forehead and like this kind of kiss. And then Tess shoots her in the skull. After she calls her baby, too. Yeah. But the thing is, is that if Tess had left the barbarian alive, the barbarian would have just taken her back to that house. And Tess told her she wasn't going to go back. And then as the fucking credits roll, Be My Baby starts to play as we get this montage of Tess wandering back to the fucking gas station. Bloody, torn to shit, the dawn, like the sun is rising, and we just get Be My, Be My Baby in the background. As fucking Tess is just wandering back to the gas station. I hope Tess does not call the cops, though. I hope Call the ambulance. Yeah, call the ambulance and then get some serious therapy. And don't go back to Marcus. And, um, yeah, so that is Barbarian. Uh, We get five kills in this. A head bashed into a wall. A suicide via headshot. Someone dismembered and beaten to death with their own arm. Someone with their eyes gouged and head ripped open. And a headshot. Yep. And honestly, like, the gore in this movie is really good. It's Mm -hmm. obscured in darkness for a lot of it, but it works for the purpose of the movie. I don't think we actually even see Frank shoot himself, but we hear the gun go off and we make our assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the soundtrack itself is, like, all tension. There's actually very little jump scares in this movie. There is. I think Keith is a... One jump scare and then the barbarian coming out. Yeah, Keith and the barbarian, I think, like, twice or, like, three times. But they use it... They use the jump scares, like, well. I will say as soon as the homeless man was like, well, it's always been safe here. I've been like, I know it! It's not now! You jinxed everybody! How could you? Oh, God, no. Anytime there's, like, a line like that, you're fucked. Yeah. Also, I don't know why I've been doing a southern accent. They're in fucking Detroit. They don't have accents. Yeah, he doesn't even... He's got more of an eastern. He has an eastern. But I... Okay, I can't do any accent, though. I can't do a British accent. I can't do an Australian accent. Uh, Uh, Fuck it. Yeah, no. You're fine. I'm fine. They had... they. I think, yeah, he had an East Coast accent, but I do not how to do... I... All accents are the same when I say them. Like if you It's ask, all Southern. It's all Southern. You ask me to do a Scottish accent, I'll be like... I'll Actually, keep... sometimes when you get mad, your uh, uh, Midwestern accent comes out. Oh, okay. I Okay, so I did live in the Midwest for like, I don't know, like three years. And I don't have an accent unless it's like certain words. And every once in a while, it'll like raise its head. But most of the time, it's not there. It's only occasionally. It's like how I uh, caught my dad's accent as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So occasionally, if I talk to like my sister for yeah. too long, like, I'll pick on. up on some of her yeah. drawl. Yeah. If I talk to a cousin of mine who's from like North Dakota, it starts to come out a little bit. But most of the time, it's just not there. But. But anyways, the Sorry. current most common way to die: still being burned alive at seventy-nine. Oof. We got various monsters as the honorable second mention at 18 kills. I'm keeping mine as the toilet lid from Saw as my personal favorite kill. Any new favorite kills? Corkscrew to the neck is still my favorite. So that was Barbarian. Good movie. Good movie. Yeah, I gave it, I think, a four out of five. We both gave it four stars. It's a good Um, movie. 
And our next movie is going to be the first adaptation of Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Joy! So, I think this movie was released in the 70s. Let me double check that real quick. Yeah. 80s, 80s, not 70s. But, yeah, it's it's a little cheesy as all fuck, so it's not going to be the really? scariest movie. Okay, because, again, we just talked about how I lived in the Midwest. Uh, brutal honesty, fucking cornfields are terrifying. As someone who has wandered through, like, real, like, agriculture or cornfields where they go on for fucking miles... They are legitimately terrifying. No, so I think, I'm, I have a high standards, I guess, for cornfield terrifying me. Cause I think in the tall grass would be a much more better fit for that type of fear. Oh, okay. Uh, this one's more like about a children's cult. Okay. And I think that's all I want to say before we see that movie. Okay. Because, like, again, I've never seen it before, but, like, you say children of the court, and I'm like, oh. So, like, the, what, so it's like... Midwestern cryptids. Because there's... Like, I feel like we all have our different variation of cryptids. You know, like, the Northwest is more, like, kind of, like, like witches and, like, these kind of, like, ominous, like, pine forests and, like, mist and, like, kind of, like... Water monsters. Water monsters, yeah, like... Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Like, those, like, those, like... Or, like, the open ocean, which is honestly also terrifying. But for the Midwest, I guess their more cryptids are open skies where there are just no places to hide and, and cornfields cornfields which i i will stand i will stand behind my cornfields are fucking terrifying cuz you when you're on like like a hill or a ridge they go on for fucking ever and then when you enter them and you get into them again okay maybe i should inform the listeners i am 5 foot 5 I'm not that tall. If you're like six foot, I bet they are a lot less scary. But for someone who's shorter than corn, it's scary. Corn are taller than six feet. Never mind. They're scary for everyone. But um, we're going on too long. We're going to wrap this episode up. No, you're good. We like tangents on this no, episode. I will go on. We like tangents in this podcast. God damn it. Tangents are, tangents are valid. God However, damn it. The movie's over. Oh, shit. So, so shall be our tangents. If that even came out. I don't think... I wasn't going to say anything, Ander. I shit at English, too. So should the tangents. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Say British... Which, which... British wristwatch. Fuck you, bitch. Good job. No, I'm impressed. Until now. next time, this is Bias by the Numbers, a horror podcast. Goodbye. Can you say Worcestershire? No. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Thank you for listening to Bodies by the Numbers, a horror podcast. Our art is done by Emmy Art on Instagram, and our music is done by Disposable on SoundCloud. Links to our socials below, and we hope to see you next time.